Take your Bibles now and open up to Philippians. I almost said Ephesians. That's a throwback right there. I went through that a while ago. But we're in Philippians, Philippians chapter 3. Jesus said that in the days of Noah, it'll be similar to his return, which is why I think he's coming back with the precipitation we've been having. You know what I'm saying? Do you, guys, do you think he was coming back a couple days ago? It rained 700 inches in one hour. Man, it was crazy. Like, this is it. This is it. And yet until the Lord returns, and we are a church that believes in the imminent return of Jesus Christ, okay? The imminent, that means he could come back right now. I believe, and you can pick your own belief system, I believe that nothing inhibits the Lord's return. There's not one other thing that needs to happen. The Bible says that when the fullness of the Gentiles has come, he, he will come in that manner. When the last Gentile gets saved, when the last person raises their hand and says, yeah, I'll give my life to Jesus, it's full, and the Lord will descend and take his church home. We're waiting for that to happen. And until then, he wants us to stay busy, to stay active, to stay moving forward, to stay engaged in the things that matter most. But let's be honest, when it's raining like this, or maybe when it's heavy in your own life, you can get distracted pretty easily, right? You can get discouraged. You get yourself lost in the woods, and I need to remind you that the book of Philippians is a pastoral encouragement letter. Paul writes letters to a lot of different churches, and some churches get a real low scorecard on their report card. He says, look, you guys are all messed up. You got to fix this, fix that, watch out for this. I'm coming. When I come, you better hide yourself, hide your kids, hide your wife, hide everybody. I'm coming. This letter, he has no real rebuke. In chapter four, he will name two ladies that are having a dispute. And he says, Eodia and Syntychus, I need you guys to figure this out, okay? You just figure it out before I get there. It's not a big deal. I'm not sure what their problem was. He doesn't go into it. Listen, by and large though, he's simply encouraging the church to keep going because they needed encouragement. Maybe they were discouraged. Maybe things weren't going right for them. But I want you to know the Father's heart for you this morning because you forget he's for you, not against you, amen? Does that change everything for you? He's for you, not against you. In the present situation you're in, the present trial, the present struggle, the present situation and circumstance is designed, okay, to make you into the man or woman, son or daughter that God wants you to be. Don't think some strange thing were happening to you, but instead God has ordered for you trials, circumstances, details that you wouldn't order for yourself in order to give you an opportunity to be a big boy or a big girl and to praise God even when it's raining outside, even when you're in the woods. And yet we need that encouragement, don't we? Yesterday I was leaving a birthday party and I was walking out the street and I saw a guy walking across the street and he waved and said, look, you know, it's me, Shelby. And I was like, oh, what up, Shelby? And, and he was walking to his wife and kid. I was like, oh, there's your wife and kid. I hadn't seen them since they had a baby. And I got a chance to encourage them. And I say the same thing to, I say to everybody that has little babies, I just say, good luck. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't say that. But, but I looked at it. I was like, hey, I just want you guys to know you're in the woods right now. I just said, you're in the woods. You got a little kid. Anybody who has little kids, man, you're like in the woods. You're just trying to get through life. And I began, to, and he was just looking at me saying, give me some advice, help me. You know what I mean? And I began to pour into this couple, and I prayed for them right by Oceana, by the rec center. It was such a wonderful conversation. But I told him and told Tina, his wife, I said, I need you guys to understand something. God's going to show you his character through your little son, Bodhi. He's going to show you who he is. How would he do that through Bodhi? He doesn't do it through Bodhi. He does it through the father's heart and the mother's heart that's given to you for your, for your son or your daughter. And you would give everything and anything to this little guy or gal. If you've had a kid, you know what I'm talking about. And I said, how much more so then would the Lord look at you, his son or his daughter? Because we're not even 
perfect parents. Jesus actually said, compared to God, we're evil parents. You evil give your kids good gifts. How much more so would the Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit when you ask? And I encouraged this young couple. I said, look, if you guys would give everything and you have to your son, that he would do well, that you would dress him, that you would teach him how to walk and teach him how to talk. He's just a little guy. You would teach him how to sit still. <laughs> you would teach him all these things. God is committed to teaching you as well. And I forget that. And Paul, Pastor Paul is writing to the church at Philippi. He's saying, guys, I heard about you. I like you. And I want you to be encouraged for the future. So I wrote you an epistle. It's four chapters long. It's 104 verses deep. And in 104 verses, four chapters, Paul uses the word joy or joyful 19 separate times. It's a happy book. It's a happy chapter. And not just does he say, listen, joy or joyful 19 times, but 15 times he uses the word mind, mindful, or think. He talks about the position of the mind, the mindset of the believer. Because you have probably learned this, but happiness is not always connected to your circumstances. As a matter of fact, if you haven't learned this yet and you live on the Oregon coast, you haven't been happy in years. Enough weather jokes, man. I'm over it, though. I'm going to Mexico. I'm going to Mexico. I'm out of here. Our pastor's so serving. He's going to Mexico. Yeah, right. I got sunscreen. I'm ready to rock and roll. I'll tell you how it goes. And yet, here's what happens, is we oftentimes connect our happiness or our joy to circumstances. And when things don't go the way we want, we're not happy until things go the way we are. But have you ever seen somebody with everything going the way that you would want for your life? and yet they don't have happiness? Isn't that a mystery? See super rich people that aren't happy, you're like, oh, Lord, I'll try being rich if you need somebody. You know? I'll try, I'll be happy, I promise. And yet Paul has just told us that he's lost everything, and he counted it. That means he added up everything he lost. I lost my wife, okay, she left me. We don't know the story there. He's, he was married, we don't know. Maybe she left him when he became a Christian. Maybe she was killed, we don't know. He's single, okay, I'm single. I lost my position in the ministry. I'm not a Pharisee. I'm, I'm, I'm not in the Sanhedrin. I'm, I'm, oh, I lost my freedom. I'm, oh, I'm in jail. Oh, I've been beaten many times. Oh, I'm going to be seen Nero. I'm sentenced to death. Okay. I count all that up. Pure joy. Pure joy. Well, I, your calculator's broke, Paul. Start over. So he writes to this church and he writes to us. And he says, guys, what if God has taken things from you? What if you have, and we know this, everybody loses something. You've lost something, have you not? Something's been taken from you. Something that you held dearly is not yours anymore. And if you've lived longer than 15 minutes with Jesus as your Savior, you've realized that when you lost something, fill in the blank, that what you've gained in Christ is more valuable than what you've gained than what you've lost. Amen? Okay, you've realized this. Yeah, here's the deal. You forget in the next thing you're losing. You're losing your health or losing your freedom losing something, maybe you're losing your job, maybe something getting taken from you, something that's not even a bad thing was being taken from you. Maybe there's a breakup going on in your life right now, a boyfriend or a girlfriend situation is not going well. Whatever the situation is, did you know that if you lose anything and yet gain Christ, what you gain is more valuable than what you've lost. Now this is important in a world that is promised to hurt you, in a world that is promised to be broken in a world that has foundations that are being shook and are crumbling right before our very eyes. 
And because Paul uses this idea of mindset, can I just have our church commit to being people who have our minds set on things above, not on things below, like we saw in Colossians chapter 3? That we're not living permanently here in this world? That when gas prices go up and governments crumble and chaos ensues, we're like, cool, dude, I don't belong here anyways. Literally just camping, temporary citizen. And when we know that, as a matter of fact, it's a mindset. Don't wait for your circumstances to get better. Choose to have your mind stayed on things above. Isaiah 26.3, some of you have this committed to memory. It's a real small verse. I want you to memorize it with me now. It says this, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon you because he trusts in you. It's a simple verse. You want to be kept in perfect peace? How? By keeping your mind stayed upon the Lord, focused on him because you trust in him. You can't trust in yourself. You can't trust in the government. You can't trust in the economy. You can't trust the weatherman. You can't trust any of these things. But you can trust the Lord. And your mind needs to be renewed daily. One of the verses that I share with my kids is that we need to renew our minds daily. This is what it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It says it this way. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, perfect, pleasing will for you. How do we do this? By setting our mind on things above. By letting our mind stay, stay on the Lord. By letting our mind be renewed in the things of God. And when you lose things, when you go through hard situations and trials, you won't spaz out, tap out, weird out. Instead, you will let your roots grow down and your fruits will come out. I prayed a prayer earlier when the guys were up on stage with me going to Mexico that the Lord would anoint our church to be witnesses. Okay, a witness is somebody who literally reflects the glory of God in every situation of your life. That God would use you when you're being blessed. Oh man, I just want to give glory to God. Don't you love watching like the NBA finals, which are on, I believe tonight. The NBA, don't you love just watching the, the, the championships when they interview players and coaches? My family loves watching the end of a game or a series and when coaches or players give glory to God. It's our highlight of the whole entire game. And they're at this point in their victory. Like, I just want to give glory to God, man, my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Woo! You know, we turn it off. That's all we needed. And then there's other people who are going through situations, difficulties, trials, who give glory to God, who they reflect and say, you know what? May God be glorified in all that I'm going through. May all that I've lost be to the glory of God and the good of others. And may it be counted as rubbish compared to that which I have gained. So when God takes something away from you, even if it hurts, it can still be called good because God is working for eternity. He's not working for temporary reasons. And he's also working from victory. Our God has already won. It's not about this world. And Paul lost some things, and we're all going to lose some things. I've been putting this message together. I'm like, man, there's a whole bunch of stuff and suffering and loss in here. Where do I get to the good stuff? Where's the good stuff? And I, didn't, I went to bed last night. It was like 11 o'clock, and my wife and I were talking. I was like, hey, babe, can you pray for me? I just, I'd feel, I don't really, I don't, I'm not really excited about this message. I'm not really excited about preaching this stuff. Because I want to get to the good stuff. What does God want to do and bless us? And yet I believe the Lord is wrestling with my heart, saying, Luke, this world is hurting. You don't want it to be hurting. And I understand that. But it is hurting. And you need to teach the people what it means to lose, what it means to suffer, and that I'm still good in accomplishing my perfect will in the midst of suffering. On Monday, I went and did a workout at CrossFit because I love to suffer. 
and I put myself in kind of a deficit. I was late. We changed our staff meeting to Monday instead of Tuesday, and I was going to be late. So I ordered a sandwich from Starbucks on my mobile app, and, and I j- jammed over to Starbucks, and I was late, and I got to Starbucks, and the doors were locked. You couldn't go in and get your mobile orders there. And so, so I ran out, and there was about 12 cars deep at the drive-thru, and I just didn't have time. I was like, okay, well, I guess I don't get my sandwich I ordered. And, and there was a guy in line, 12, 12 cars deep, and I ran over to his truck. I said, hey, I said, I ordered a sandwich. I don't have time. And my name's Luke. And so when you get to the drive-thru in 90 minutes, when you get through, just say you're here for Luke's sandwich and you can have my sandwich. I just, it's, you know, I don't have time. And he just looked at me. He said, why don't you have time? I said, okay. We're, I, guess we're, I guess we're talking now. <laughs> and I said, I got to get to work. And he didn't even blink. He's like, where do you work? <laughs> And I was like, I work at South Beach Church, man. My name's Luke. When you get the thing, he's like, okay, I'll just get the sandwich and I'll bring it to South Beach Church. I'll bring it to you. And I said, no, no, I, you don't need to do that. And he says, no, I'll bring it to you. I said, okay, I gotta go. I'm not going to argue. And I said, let me clarify. It's not the church. I'm at the offices. Here's the address, you know. And, and, uh, and so I told him I was at the offices. And so about 90 minutes later or less, all of a sudden in walks this guy. I had no idea who this guy was. He walks in, has his, my sandwich and two of his sandwiches and a drink, and he sits down. And I was like, Hey, we've got a friend here, you know, this is awesome. And long story short, he sat there for about the next 90 minutes, and he hung out with our staff. He enjoyed the morning fellowship, got a chance to hear what's going on in his life. He's going through a real tough time. 22-year-old man, and God is doing something in him. And when I just went and just talked to him briefly, he connected the dots. He knew who I was. I didn't know who he was, yet at that time we made some connections, and we got a chance to pray for him. Because he's going through a situation, a breakup just happened. And yet by his own words, he says, you know what, I've been through this before and I'm just, I'm gonna, I'm just, I'm, I'm in a good place. He didn't say, I'm going to trust the Lord. Those were my words, but that put into his mouth. I said, we just need to trust the Lord. God has something for you. Do you have a Bible? No, I don't. Okay, we're going to pray for you and give you a Bible. We're praying for him, laying hands on him. He's crying, receiving this Bible. And God blessed him with an amazing morning. I got a sandwich out of the deal as well. It was a win-win. <laughs> I say all that to say this though. The softness of his heart, 22-year-old man. Do you remember when you were 22? When I was, I was still running hard. God was still trying to get a hold of me. And God was getting a hold of this man through difficult circumstances. And I didn't want to preach this message this morning because I want to talk about fun stuff and happy stuff. And I don't know what the future is for your life or for my life, specifically. You can guarantee, though, there's going to be trials. You can guarantee there's going to be troubles. There's going to be circumstances outside of your control that you will have a choice to say, do I want to set my mind on things above? Do I want to keep my mind stayed on the Lord? Do I want to have perfect peace? Or am I going to wait till things get better before I start worshiping? Or am I going to say the Lord can have his way? And I wish I could tell you that the things of this world are not going to fall apart or even not dangerous for you. Have you realized that, that the things of this world can slowly lead you away and astray from God's glory and God's purposes? Jesus actually said, he preached this, he said, there would be some Christians, seed that bears life, but there will be no fruit because of the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches will choke out the fruit from believers all over the place. Now, let me ask you a question. How many here want to be distracted by this world and be choked out and miss your God-given purpose? Anybody want to do that? No, it's like, I don't understand the question. You heard me. I don't want to do that. Before this service began, I was in my office on my knees praying. And as I was praying, I was thanking the Lord for saving me from myself. Because I spent years wanting it my way, doing things for my purpose, doing things for my will. 
And the Lord rescued me from myself through brokenness, through humiliation, through failure. What's the Lord bringing you through right now? Jesus said, God forbid that you gain the whole world and lose your own soul. Jesus said it would be better for you to enter into heaven, missing an eye and missing a hand, maimed from this life, than to enter into hell with all of your members intact. Boil it down. Jesus said it'd be better for you to go through a life of rough sled and difficult times and to have your attention focused on him than to be distracted by all the beauties of this world because there's more to come. It's not just about here. As, and isn't life awesome? Isn't, I can say all this with a smile because I love life. Careful though. When Jesus was being tempted, 40 days, Satan tempted him and one of the temptations was his, he brought Jesus to the top of a mountain and he said, here's the kingdoms of the world. All the power all of the pleasure, everything. And he offered it to Jesus, and Jesus rejected it. Now, a couple things come to my mind theologically. Did Satan really have the authority to offer Jesus all of the pleasures and all the kingdoms of the world? I believe he did. Because he's in charge of this world. All the kingdoms, all the power, everything this world has that is growing, that is excelling and exceeding, you know what? It's all under Satan's control. Genesis chapter 3, the title deed of this world was surrendered to Satan as Adam and Eve, our great, 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 great grandparents, were swindled out of their rightful inheritance that God had given to them. Jesus has redeemed that inheritance, but right now, this world is under the sway of the wicked one. I got three kids, two in the back, maybe one upstairs. I think that's all. And I'm working with their hearts. Hey guys, you see everything? Isn't this great? Isn't, isn't God good? Isn't, isn't life fun? Careful, careful. A lot of that the world has that's shining has hooks and their lures and traps. And the Lord will allow you opportunities to go through difficulty to get your attention. And God loved Paul so much that he was willing to break his bones in order that he would rescue his heart, that he would do a deeper work in him. Now, all this is run up and intro into our text moving forward, but I believe it's worth developing this idea that if you go through difficult times, it's because God loves you and he doesn't want you to be swayed away by this world. One of my favorite verses in all the scriptures is in Psalm 119. I've shared it hundreds of times and it's verse 67. And it says, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. The psalmist was saying that before things got tough, he was a wild one. But now that the pressures of life have weighed him down, I keep your word. There's dozens of people at South Beach Church that have this testimony. Before God rescued you from you, you did your own thing. But God wants to do a deeper work in you. Guys, all of this is found in verses 7, 8, and 9. We studied this last week. Paul says, I've gained so much, even though I've lost even more. What I've gained is now more, and what I've lost I count as rubbish. And Paul says in verse 8, yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, in whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Listen, that I may gain Christ. Hope you have that circled. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law. Stop right there, Isaiah. I used this illustration last week. One of Paul's most glorious things that he had received from losing everything else was realizing that he's now found in Christ. 
Not his own righteousness, but the righteousness that comes from God by faith. Paul was a religious Pharisee. He had worked hard for his status. And when he met Jesus, he realized that the hard work was actually Jesus' work, not his own. He's hidden in Christ. This is great news for men and women like you and like me who've not been perfect, who can't even compare yourself to the Apostle Paul, but who, like me last Saturday, stopped in at Five Guys for a double cheeseburger, vegetable milkshake, vanilla bean, and the fries. After working out all day and being fit, and yet I find myself making these decisions, and so too you and me. How are you going to be saved? Where does your righteousness come from? Listen, you are hidden in him. This is out of Colossians chapter 3, verse 3. I'll read it to you. It says, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Isn't that awesome? When Christ died and you believed in him, you were hidden in him. All of those handwritings of requirements against you are now not seen because of what Jesus has done for you. How many of you guys have a pretty extensive list of what you've done? Okay. It's, it's kind of like this receipt I have in my Bible. I have a receipt in here somewhere. Maybe I don't. Maybe someone stole it. There it is. It's a little Fred Meyer receipt. All of the handwriting that is written against me. All the things I've bought. And when I put this in my Bible, it's crumpled, it's tattered. There's some records on it. And now it's hidden within the scriptures. You can't see it. It's in there. I couldn't even find it. I was looking for it. I thought I lost it. So too, all of the things that are written against you, all those details, all of those things that have been recorded, God says through his son, now that you have lost some things, guess what? All that's been taken care of in Jesus Christ. By the way, if you believe this about yourself, it changes everything. Did you know, check this out, I've been wrestling with this all week. Did you know you can look at other believers and you can choose to not look at any of the writing of requirements against them as well? The ones that you're aware of. How many Christians do you have in your life right now? You're like, eh, you got some work to do, buddy. You have any Christians? You're just kind of like, eh, I know you're saved, but I have my questions. So, you know, I have my questions. You don't have to look at people that way. You literally cannot recognize people according to the flesh, but according to their spirit. And love them, embrace them, cheer them on. You don't have to be the sin sniffer rule regulator. You don't got to be that guy. Let it go. This will change everything in a fellowship, in a family, in a community, in your relationships where you don't hold people accountable to the sins that they've committed because that's not what Jesus is doing. Jesus has died for those sins and you now are hidden in him. I dare you to love the people closest to you in this way. Don't keep record of wrong. Love doesn't do that. You got a file against your spouse, a file against your, your friends, your coworkers, get rid of it, delete it, okay? Choose to love people unconditionally. Just try it in Jesus' name because you don't have the pedigree, you don't have the pay grade. You don't have the wisdom, insight, and authority to hold people accountable. All of this was given to Paul in his loss. And all of this is ours as well. So if you've lost something, if you're going through something right now, life's tough for you, life's difficult for you, may we have that vantage point, that viewpoint, and say, Lord, would you become everything to me? Forgive me for these silly little things that I've been holding on to, these other little ideas that are precious to me. May it all be found in Jesus. Guys, join me now in verse 10. We're gonna get through one verse today. It's gonna be great. It's gonna be great. And in verse 10, Paul gives four things. Now, if you're a note taker, write this down. Four things that after he's lost it all, he's now gained specifically in Christ that will change your life. Let's read verse 10. We're gonna extract all four things as long as it takes. He says that I may know him, number one. 
and the fellowship, or should I say, and the power of his resurrection, number two, and the fellowship of his sufferings, number three, being conformed to his death, number four, verse 11, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Stop right there, eyes up here. Profoundly simply, profoundly simple and simply profound, Paul says, that I might know him. This is a religious guy who only knew God through the law and was introduced to Jesus face to face. And now he says, I've lost everything. It's been hard for me, but you know what I've gained? I know Jesus. I know him. Most of you in here would nod your head and say, okay, point number two, Luke, let's keep going. No, 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 no. I'm gonna ask you that question. Do you know Jesus? Not do you go to church, not are you a Christian? It's actually interesting when you meet another Christian, the first thing we ask them usually is what church do you go to? Oh, you're a Christian, that's crazy. What church do you go to? What if we stopped asking what church people went to and instead we said, you're a Christian? Are you serious? You know Jesus? As awkward and confrontational and even condescending as that question is, because not everybody knows Jesus. Paul starts off and he says, doesn't say what church he goes to. He says, I know Jesus. It's simply profound and profoundly simple. It changes everything and it's your identity. All other things that you have in this life pale in comparison to that one thing, I know Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, no matter what you have, you have nothing. But if you have that one thing, you have everything. Do you know Jesus? And I labor at this point and challenge you because if you say that answer quickly, yeah, I know Jesus, I know Jesus. I wonder if Jesus knows you. I wonder if there's anything in your relationship that would necessitate some working on. Do you know him? Do you have any other relationships right now? you guys know anybody? I know some people. I know some people better than others. I know some people, but, but not very well. I know about some people, but I actually don't know them. I know about some people, a lot about some people. It's called stalking nowadays. I know a whole bunch about them, but they don't know me at all. We've never met. I know their stats. I know their birthday. I can Wikipedia, look all that stuff up. I can find out, you know, how tall Tom Cruise is and how old he is and all this stuff, you know. We've all done that this, this year, haven't we? No? Anyways, you go, go see Top Gun. But he doesn't know me. And I want to encourage you. Paul says that I might know him. This changes everything. Right now, people are looking for identity. Everyone's looking for something to make themselves different, set themselves apart. There is nothing, this is what Paul says, you want to know what I gain from all this? I know Jesus. I know God in the flesh. Remember that scene from Elf? Remember Elf, Buddy the Elf? Remember the Christmas movie? Oh and when Santa's coming to the workshop there, and he's like, I know him. Ah, ah, you know, he's so excited. Everyone's like, thinks he's crazy. You can do the same thing with Jesus. I know him. But this is going to take work, and it's going to take effort on your part. It's going to take some investment Last uh, week, my wife and I celebrated 21 years uh, of being married together, and so we've known each other a long time. And one of the things we chose to do this particular week was to take three nights away. We left the kids home with my parents. Thank you, Mom and Dad. And we went to Pacific City, and we rented a little uh, thing there, and we hung out for three days in order that we would rekindle that fire emotionally and intellectually and, and connect with one another, that we would know each other. And I just want to challenge you who are believers here. It's the 9 a.m. service. You guys are all Christians. What identifies you right now, though? 
Is it your ministry? Is it your past? Is it your present? Is it your future? Or is it the simple fact that you know Jesus Christ? And if that is who you are, that is enough to change everything about you. And here's my three questions I would ask in succession before moving on. Are you still learning about the Lord? Are you still into the Lord? Are you still making an effort to get to know the Lord? And would you ask, answer these questions honestly and say it's more or less now in this season? There's a verse in First Peter that's given directly to husbands and wives, and it's to husbands. And the, the message to husbands is, is, husbands, dwell with your wives with understanding. The idea is with your eyes open, always learning. Taking your marriage seriously, growing in the grace and, starts with N, rhymes with knowledge, knowledge of Jesus Christ. Do you know Jesus? Don't wait for anything else to wow you about Christianity or ministry. Let that be what sets you apart. He goes on though in verse 10, he says that I may know him, and he says, and the power of his resurrection, okay? This speaks of two things. If you're a note taker, write this down. Not only does it speak of the fact that we don't have to fear death because Jesus died and rose from the dead, but we also have the power of the resurrection in our lives. Two things. Now that Paul's lost everything, he knows Jesus. That's a pretty big deal. But he also has the power of his resurrection. This means he has nothing to fear in death. This changes everything. Our world is drastically afraid of dying. We've seen that in the last couple of years. Everyone's afraid. Nobody has the answers. Nobody knows what the afterlife's all about. And we do. We don't have to be afraid of dying. And don't raise your hands, but does the fear of dying ever creep, you out, creep up on you and freak you out? I was driving home from Corvallis last Saturday, and I tell you what, as I was driving, to digesting my five guys and finishing off my vegetable milkshake, I started thinking about dying for some reason. And I was just thinking about getting older, like, man, I'm getting older. I started thinking about the unknown. And I began to think about when your plane's coming in for a landing, your flight's over, trade tables are put up, seatbelts are on, and you're coming in and you're in your older years. You have no choice but to let life take you on its journey. And if you're a believer, though, you know that when you die, that's not the end. God has resurrected his son. It's the first fruits. And you who are going to die as well, you have nothing to fear. We have a life after this when the resurrection will happen. And if you know that, it changes everything. You can be locked up in a jail cell to a Roman guard and saying, guys, rejoice, 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 19 times. Because nothing's going to take that away from you. Do you have that? Not just listen. And I want you guys to zoom in on this one. Not just does Paul know him and the power of his resurrection. That's for life after death. But did you know that the power of the resurrection is also resurrection power for life on earth? How many of you guys realize that the power of the resurrection is the same power that flows through your veins right now to live your life here on earth? That God's given you power to resist sin and temptation. He's given you power to be a witness, power to love, power to serve, power to abstain from the world, power to press into the things of God. Do you know this? And let me ask you this question. How many of you guys need more power, supernatural resurrection power in your life right now to be the man or woman God's called you to be? You guys need more power? I do too. And in Acts chapter one, Jesus says, you're going out into the world when you receive my power. The word there is dunamis. It's where we get our English word dynamite. And it's the same type of power. You ever seen a stick of dynamite? Okay, it has everything within it to bring massive power to a situation. And yet it's on reserve, it's ready to go when needed. And if you light that wick, things happen. So too the Holy Spirit is in you right now, husband. He's in you right now, wife. He's in you right now, man. He's in you right now, woman. He's in you right now. When you are in a situation where you need the power of the Holy Spirit to love, to have joy, to have peace, to have patience, to have kindness, to have goodness, gentleness, meekness, and self-control, did you know that he's right there? 
You need it, so do I. Paul says, I lost everything, man. All this stuff I thought I had, you know what I got? I know Jesus now. Big deal. It's crazy. Oh, yeah, by the way, I also have the power of his resurrection. When I die, I don't stay dead. I'm not even worried about it. Oh, yeah? And I'm also living by power right now. God is with me everywhere I go. And I hope that settles into some of you right now in your battles and in your lives. Because I'll be the first to confess and the first to repent. I spend many, many hours, days, and weeks trying to live for God's glory and others' good in my own power. And it gets me nowhere. It gets me exhausted and fatigued and overwhelmed. But when I realize, whoa, it's like electricity. When the electricity flows from God into a vessel that's willing to be used by him, that electricity will go through him or her. You know that electricity won't go any further than it's allowed to go. It just stops. But when you allow that electricity to be used for God's glory and for others' good, to say no to sin, to rise up and to forgive, to be a servant, to say no to apathy and laziness and all this indifference, you need the power of the Holy Spirit to be a witness in this world. Not only does he say, we're only going to get through one verse today. This is amazing. He says in verse 10, he says that I may know him. That's a big deal. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. You ever read on a, on, on a city bus before? Not that that's suffering, but it kind of makes sense. When, when you're riding on a city bus, you're riding there with the people. I used to ride a bus. I had my license taken away for a couple of years because of foolish activity, and I got to know the bus system. It was pretty, pretty cool. And when you get to your bus stop, you pull the little string, and you get off the bus. Like the bus driver's like, oh, this guy wants to get off. He doesn't want to be here anymore. Most people, when they're reading this verse 10, they want to know him. They want to have the power of his resurrection, but they pull the string. They want to get off right about the fellowship of suffering. I don't want anything to do with that. And then the last point, being conformed to his death, yeah, for sure, my stop's way back there, but I don't want to be here. Let me tell you something, though. Paul says, I have come to know Christ and know him better through the fellowship of his suffering. This is my introductory statements, that in this world, you're going to have difficult times. It's not going to always go your way. But did you know that Jesus Christ, listen, is closer to you in your suffering than he is in your mountaintop experiences? That it's not on the easy streets of life and when things are going great that people most likely get closer to the Lord, but it's when you're down in the dumps and things are harder than you had anticipated that the Lord is near and dear to your face. I love mountaintop experiences. I love glorious times, but I've also been in difficult days where the Lord is more near to me than ever before. Psalm 34 verse 18, you can commit it to memory. It says, the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. And he saves such as have a contrite spirit. Nobody wants to suffer. Nobody wants to get in over their head. Nobody wants to go through difficult days. But the Lord is smarter than that. And he knows that in your suffering, in your challenges, that God will get your attention and he'll do a deeper work in you than ever before. No pain, no gain. Is that true? Have you guys figured this out? It's absolutely true. Let me read to you a lengthy portion of scripture. It's Paul's testimony. It's in 2 Corinthians 12. Paul says this beginning in verse 7. He says, Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, 
most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, I laugh, in reproaches, in needs, in persecution, in distress, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. How many aren't there yet? I rejoice in infirmities, persecutions, and in needs. Woohoo! Ah! You know. Paul, you're crazy, dude. Chained to a guard, awaiting death. Paul, you got the short end of the stick, bro. Oh, no, 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 no. I lost some things. Let me list them for you. And he does. What did I gain? I know Jesus. And the power of his resurrection. And the fellowship of his suffering. Guys, in this world, God does not want you to be ripped off. And he will order for you suffering in order to have that sweet fellowship with you. Our God is a jealous God. Have you figured this out? And if you're being ripped off by things of this world, God will allow the carpet to be tore out from underneath of you to get your attention. Because he's mad at you? No, no. He's madly in love with you. And he will pursue you. And he will test you. And you who have gone through suffering know that what he accomplishes in that suffering is of a greater glory than anything you could accomplish in days of ease. I tell this story often of Fanny Crosby who as a young baby was blinded by a a, a quack doctor, unintentionally, accidentally blinded for the rest of her life. And through her infirmities and through her needs, God used her to pen over 8,000 hymns and psalms that we sing to this day. And when she was interviewed on her deathbed, would you change and have a normal life as a little girl if you could go back and just live normally? She said, no way. Because the first person I get to see with my eyes is Jesus Christ, and I wouldn't change that for anything. Johnny Erickson Tata, a healthy swimmer, 17-year-old girl, Olympic dreams, paralyzed, jumping into a lake, waking up in a hospital bed. Life had changed for her. She no longer had these dreams. She tried to kill herself multiple times, unable to do so. She finally relented to God's will for her life and to this day is a quadriplegic that God has done and produced more fruit and ministry through her life and her suffering than he could have ever done through a life lived well, even on an Olympic podium. What's, what's your suffering level? You don't really get to choose, do you? Unless you're in college, then you sign up for it. (laughs) Remember? God has suffering for you. And he wants to use it to advance his purpose in your life and through your surrender. There's this interesting story in the book of Daniel where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown into a fire uh, and to die and to burn and to suffer. And you know the story. Shortly after arriving into the fire, another person shows up. It's Jesus Christ. It's an incarnation in the Old Testament. And the Bible says that they're in there fellowshipping. They're all just having, I don't know what they're talking about. Nebuchadnezzar didn't know either. He's like, hey, how many people we throw in there? Trick question. He's like, we threw in uh, three. He's like, why do I see four? I don't know, bro. And they had to actually call them out of the fire. I believe because the fellowship was so good with Jesus in the fire, they didn't even want to come out. Can you imagine that? I'd be the first, well, I can't be out of here, you know. No, their ropes were burned off, fellowship ensued. And listen, please, not only were their ropes burned and fellowship happened, but witness was given. Nebuchadnezzar became a believer that day. He saw the suffering of Shadrach and Benny and the difficulties they were going through. And he said, if you can go through that suffering, 
and in fellowship with the king, then Jesus must be real. The fourth point in verse 10, he says, and being conformed to his death. All of this is all wrapped up in the same similar thread. We're all going to die, right? You can Google it later. 10 out of 10 people are dying lately. Everybody's dying. It's going to happen. And you don't have to fear death. In our flesh, we still struggle with death. It takes us a while to warm up to death. We avoid death. We dodge death. We prolong life. We shouldn't be reckless by any means. The Bible says it's been appointed once unto man to die. There's an appointment for you. You don't need to make your own. God has it figured out for you. But the reality is there's something in our flesh that needs to be wrestled with. And we need to be conformed to his death. When Jesus began to talk about his death, Peter pulled him aside and said, hey, Jesus, love you, bro. Don't ever talk about that again. You're not going to die. It's a bad idea. I'll protect you. We'll go over here. We'll start a whole ministry over in the Galapagos Islands. It's going to be awesome. You don't need to die. And Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Peter, you don't know what you're talking about. You're not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of man in regards to death. Jesus would say it this way, and let me end with this thought. John chapter 12, it's a lengthy portion of scripture, and I'm gonna end with these thoughts on death because we're all dying, we're all suffering, we're all going through something right now, and we're all waiting for the sun to come out, and it might not come out in your life in certain ways. You need to set your mind on things above and keep your mind stayed on the Lord that you would be given perfect peace because you trust in him because people are looking at your life right now. And there are some, listen, I wanna put a heavy weight on you, that are unimpressed with your Christianity. I don't want to be like you. I say this to my shame. I don't want to be like Luke. I see him going through things, and I don't want that. Or there are others who see you and say, wow. I saw it when you got cancer. I saw that. I saw it when you lost your marriage and the way you continue to stay the course. I saw that. I saw how you gave God glory when life was stripped from you. When you went through that challenge, And may the Lord conform us to the big picture. Jesus said this. John 12, 23. Jesus answered, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will also be. And if anyone serves me, him my father will honor. Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this hour have I come. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus answered and said to them, This voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all peoples to myself. Verse 33 and final verse. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. How confusing. The son of man coming to earth. Why is he here? Oh, he's going to set up his kingdom now. He's going to rescue us from Rome. He's going to make everything work right. Jesus said, no, I'm here to die. 
For if a grain of wheat does not fall into the ground and die, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. So too in your life, if you allow the Lord to have his way in your life, to continue to take you deeper, to continue to minister to you with that baseline foundation. Do you know Jesus? Do you have him? Is that what you have? Is that what identifies you? Is that your thing? Is that what sets you apart? You're not a business owner. You're not single. You're not married. You're not a professional. You're not an amateur. You know Jesus. And if you have that, you have everything. If you don't have that, you have nothing. May the Lord minister his will into our lives, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed unto his death. Guys, I wish we could read the rest of verses 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. I got my notes, 10 pages, my bad. I want you to read it later. Because Paul goes on to confess. He says, not that I have attained this, guys. I'm still working on it. I'm pressing in. I'm reaching forward for the prize of the goal of the upward call in Christ Jesus. I'm forgetting those things behind me. You got anything in your past you got to let go of? Got anything in your future you need to press for? Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we thank you in Jesus' name that you're for us, not against us. Lord, this is our turn to race. This is our turn to shine. This is our turn to have our roots down and fruits come out. And so we look back historically on this wonderful epistle that Paul wrote to us. And we ask in Jesus' name that you would bear fruit through it, that our minds would not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, Lord, as we look into your word. Would you anoint us? And maybe you're here this morning, and you would just want these four simple things to be yours, that you would know him. If you want these things, would you just raise up your hand and say, yeah, Lord, I want all these things in my life. I want to know you in a more intimate way. Maybe you've been a Christian for 21 years, but it's time to get away. It's time to spend some time with the Lord, get to know him. Maybe you want that power of the resurrection. Raise your hand if you need power in your life. Not just to float around and do whatever you do and answer the call when sin rings the phone, but you want to say, I want power in my life and I want to have the fellowship of suffering. I don't want to wonder why I'm going through this, but instead I want to call upon the name of the Lord and I too shall be saved. And I also want to be conformed into his death, knowing that that is where I'm going. There's no escaping it, so why should I avoid it? Why not instead embrace it and let God produce life in me? Lord, my hand is up to you in Jesus' name. Forgive me, Lord, for being obstinate, Lord for being against you in any of these ways. Would you anoint us, Lord, for your glory and for others' good? Thank you for all you've done. You can put your hands down. Lord, And would you lead us and guide us? Would you bless us, Lord, this next week as we get to go to Mexico? And Pastor Rory's gonna bring the message next week on Father's Day. Lord, it's gonna be so powerful. Bless the pulpit, Lord. Bless Rory and the youth and all the things that are happening. Bless all that we're doing at this church and the school and all the things that are going on. We love you. We need you. Forgive us of our sins. Lead us, guide us, and guard us. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said... Amen and amen. One verse today. Give yourself a clap. Good job, guys. Power-packed portion of scripture, though. Let it change your life, even as it did, Paul. May his word not return void, but have its way in you. Hey, God bless you guys. I love you. See you in two weeks. Pray for us while we're gone. Bring your families to church next week, Father's Day. Pastor Rory's going to be hitting it out of the park. It's going to be legit. I love you. God bless you guys. You are dismissed. <laughs>